first of two podcasts was recorded in October 2011 as a dialogue between Professor Philip Sheldrake and Ian Mobsby. Today we are discussing all things spiritual with Professor Philip Sheldrake. Philip is a senior research fellow and professor with connection to a number of different universities in the UK and abroad. He is also an acclaimed author, writer and international speaker on the areas of Christian spirituality, public theology and interfaith dialogue. So thank you, Philip, for joining us today for this podcast. Thanks, Ian. Very happy to do that. So kicking immediately off then, Philip, um, there's been lots of conversations about what is Christian spirituality, and I'm aware that you've written quite a lot on it. So for you, what is Christian spirituality? Yes, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big question. I'll try and be brief. Uh, I mean, the, first of all, the word spirituality on its own, without any qualifier, um, is, I guess, pretty familiar to most people. Um, but it still means a great deal of many different things. I mean, broadly yes. speaking, it, I suppose it's, it's uh, what you might call a values-driven life as opposed to a purely, uh, you know, purely uh, sort of materialistically um, framed life. Um, it usually involves certain practices um, which are meant to deepen that sense of connection to whatever people think of as the transcendent, whether that's uh, uh, God or not. Now, but I think if you add the qualifier Christian, apart from saying that the word spirituality itself kind of begins with Christianity, it's, it's, it's a Christian word and it's been adopted more broadly. Um, I, I mean, I think the shortest answer to the question is that really Christian spirituality is simply the Christian life. Um, in other words, it's not just about a set of practices like meditation or uh, fasting or pilgrimage or all, you know, you know, one of the many um, sort of activities that people undertake uh, in their own quest for spirituality. But it does involve a framework of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you don't, yes. you, you know, we're, we're doing meditation or we're fasting or whatever it is we're doing because we have a particular view of the meaning of human life and where human life is going, and what human destiny is, and so on. Mm. And that's provided by the Christian tradition, and specifically the Christian scriptures. Well, actually, the Christian and Jewish scriptures, as we yes. have also inherited those. So it's, it's, it's not just about practices, it's about, a, it's about really a life, a, a principled life direction. Mm. Um, so it involves the whole of oneself, rather than just... Uh, you know, particular moments when I step aside and do some meditation. Okay. So thinking about the inheritance of the word spirituality coming out of religion, mm-hmm. it's fascinating at the moment, um, the kind of re- this kind of resurgence culturally in, in a, an enormous amount of interest in spirituality rather than religion, where there's a disconnect between religion and spirituality. What some people have called consumptive spirituality. I wondered <laughs> what... A, why has that happened? And, and in your opinion, B, is it a good thing, this disconnect between spirituality and religion? And what is culture saying to the faiths about focusing on spirituality rather than religion? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I think my, my view is that, it's a, that, that, that the disjunction is a pity. 
Um, but I do understand it. And I think part of the problem is that religion, and here I'm thinking obviously specifically of Christianity, as it's the religion I know, it's my home territory, as it were, um, hasn't really sold itself very well, even to its own uh, members, uh, in terms of uh, a deep and long-standing spiritual tradition. And I think for many people, religion, Christianity particularly, is associated with you know, moralism, hierarchies, buildings, yeah. money, structures, all, all the kind of institutional things that um, people, I think, increasingly find unattractive mm. um, or even are a little bit suspicious of. I mean, I think there's a general suspicion of professional groups, the church being one, law being another, but as yes. we know right now, politicians being another, um, bankers being yet another, um, who in the past were thought of as somehow the paragons, not quite a virtue, but certainly the kind of, um, uh, the people who somehow uh, were the stable features of a society and are now viewed with considerable suspicion. Yes. And I think, unfortunately, I think the church, Christian religion, uh, is somewhat associated with that as a former source of authority, now no longer believed quite so readily. Yes. So spirituality kind of, I think for many people, is an attempt to get behind all that institutional stuff mm. to what they see as the, as the sort of core of things, which is some kind of principled life framed by certain practices Mm. that enable them to live their life with a degree of integrity. So mm. I think spirituality becomes an alternative authority source, apart from anything else, but it's an authority born of one's inner self rather than externally derived authority, you know? Mm. I'm aware that, um, that there seems to be a big difference between a religious follower and a spiritual quester. Yes. Uh, religious followers were very much about thinking about orthodoxy uh, that's taken mm -hmm. to practice, where it seems that many people are looking for transformative experience yes. that they then take to be something about truth, coming out of that feeling authentic and transformative. What can the church learn from that? I mean, um, this isn't the first time we've been in the situation. It seems to be the, the difference between pre-modernity and modernity, is it not? Mm -hmm. Well, um, what can the church learn? I think I so many different lessons. I think one lesson is that it needs to recover, a very important lesson, it needs to recover a memory of its own deep spiritual riches. Yes. I mean, the Christian religion, just to be specific, uh, equally true of Judaism, Islam, or indeed any of the others, um, has an extraordinary wealth of spiritual wisdom in, in particular people, historical personalities, in particular texts, in particular living traditions of spirituality. But a large number of people, both inside and outside the Christian faith, either know very little or virtually nothing at all about it. Mm. Um, and I think what the Church needs to learn is that it needs to place far more focus on that mm. um, and on teaching spiritual wisdom than it does on uh, a kind of... Uh, but basically insisting that people are members only if they observe rules and regulations. Yes. Uh, it's not to say that communities, any community, doesn't have, you know, regulations or rules because, in a sense, that frames identity. But if you overemphasize that... People can end up thinking that's all it's about. Mm. And for those for whom that's important, that's great. But for the majority who think that's very secondary to, as you say, the inner spiritual quest for transformation, mm. um, they're, going to, they're going to basically dump it. <laughs> 
um, and and looking elsewhere um, yes. for something that feels more authentic. So and that's yes. the big lesson the church has to learn: get its own priorities right. Yes, I mean, there's one thing I'm immediately thinking of is the work of Yvonne Richmond. Um, particularly when she looked at the number of people who are spiritual questers or searchers who go to Christians to interpret their experiences. And unfortunately, in the majority of cases from her research, suggested that people felt ridiculed and made look stupid. And therefore, the church, in many ways, has been very arrogant about how it engages with people who are spiritual and not religious. So, well, sort of superiority yes, complex. Yes, right? totally. And it's a great shame that seems to be happening, but I'm wondering what is the dynamic of church and religion that it feels it needs to do that? Um, insecurity, I would have thought, is one... Is, I mean, I'm no, I'm no psychologist, um, even though I have psychologists in my family, but I would guess that fear um, and insecurity are... are, are in my experience, two of the greatest incentives to become slightly supercilious. Mm. I mean, it's a form of defensiveness, isn't it? I think. Yes. Um, and I think if you if you are if you're if you like at home in your own shoes in your own clothes, I don't think you I don't think the temptation to be dismissive or supercilious or slightly arrogant uh, is anywhere um, near as great as if you're actually fundamentally pretty uncertain. And mm. my suspicion is that a lot of um, Christians, uh, particularly those who are in institutional roles, yes. are actually at this at this point actually quite insecure. They mm. feel under threat, and therefore, I suppose it's mm. easy to take a defensive stance, and that can come across as, um, well, actually, I know a lot more than you, really. Um, uh, if only you would kind of join us or listen to us, uh, then you wouldn't need to be going on with all this kind of spiritual questing. And mm. that might be one reason. Um, it's mm. the one that occurs to me most obviously. Mm. So what would you say, Philip, because there's a number of people here who are interested in spirituality rather than religion who may sure. have had some uh, bad experiences of church and then when they've tried it have found it incredibly um, not very humanizing, very regulated, as you said, very mm-hmm. rule-based, and kind of perceive religion as this kind of great girth of, of, of history that prevents, feels quite institutional. What would you say to a spiritual quester who may be listening to this podcast about the church and about religion in terms of their spiritual questing? Well, I think what I'd say is, um, however hard it is to perhaps break through that uh, barrier of uh, you know that that tends to be protective around all institutions, whether they're religious institutions or social institutions or political institutions, what I call the club mentality. Mm. Um, perhaps have faith in the fact that behind all that, certainly in Christianity, lies a very rich tradition. And yes. even if they don't want to associate themselves particularly with the institution, at least um, investigate the riches that the tradition has to offer. I mean, yes. they are accessible. Uh, people's mm. writings are there. Yes. A lot of the spiritual practices that people seek to undertake when they are searching, in fact, in the end, come from religion, and some of them come specifically from Christianity. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of spiritual practices that people take up weren't all invented yesterday. I mean, many of them have been inherited from elsewhere, borrowed from religion, and it's kind of religion without all the, without all the institutional stuff. So mm. I think maybe uh, the invitation I would make to them would be to, if they are genuinely searching and questing, then amongst other things, I, I, I would really strongly recommend that they look seriously 
at the at the riches of the Christian tradition, because there's a lot that they can gain from that. Mm. Um, it is available other than going to church on a Sunday and listening or being at the liturgy or listening to sermons or signing up, uh, you know, as a card carrying member. Um, there are there are centers of spirituality, for example, and retreat yes. centers mm. where um, a lot of the, the spiritual riches are actually accessible and available with guidance mm. um, without necessarily having to sign up to membership. Equally well, there is plenty of writing, some of it quite accessible and quite popular, mm. which would expose people to, um, you know, some of the, the riches of the tradition, which isn't just about practices, but is about spiritual teaching, um, about values, about ways of seeing things. So that's mm. what I think I would encourage people to, to keep faith with and, and actually take a look at. Yes. In my experience here, because we're not far away from the London Centre for Spirituality where we are here, um, no. and I'm, I'm fascinated that there seems to be uh, an increasing dialogue on coming together from people coming from more contemplative expressions of, of the major world religions. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that as contemplative Christians are talking, of all different denominations, been talking to more contemplative people of the Jewish faith and of um, the Sufis in Islam. I'm fascinated how... There's been a real issue. I mean, Richard Raw talks a lot about um, the egoic self in terms mm -hmm. of the that kind of need for power, the, the kind of dominance of this kind of more egoic form of religion can be quite violent and quite aggressive and very rule based. I'm, I'm wondering whether at the, the beginning of a, the 21st century, we're recovering something that is less egoic. Mm -hmm. um, more in de more in deep with kind of life rather than right thinking, but more about orthopraxis and even well-being in terms of orthopathy. Mm -hmm. um, is that where we're going? Is religion recovering this more kind of more affirming life-based um, approach to, to to what the faith is about? Uh, well, two answers to that. One is I desperately hope so. And the other is I'm not totally convinced that every institutional uh, religious person quite gets it, if yes. you see what I mean. Yes. I mean, I think you can look around, uh, and I'm not going to name names or name places or name institutions particularly, mm. but I think it's all too easy to look around and still see religious leadership talking another language. Yes. On the other hand, um, I desperately hope that what you talk about, um, a less egotistical, more... Uh, what you might call contemplative, more reflective, um, without sort of separating inside and outside and talking about people going inwards as if that means rejecting social action. I don't mean that. Mm. But people, as it were, um, spending time trying to connect with their authentic self through meditation or contemplation and other practices, that that will be the dominant thing. Mm. I mean, a great Christian theologian, um, one of the greatest of the 20th century, um, a German uh, man called Karl Rahner, mm. um, had this, towards the end of his life, in the 1980s, had this memorable phrase in which he said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic yes. or will be nothing at all. <laughs> um, and I think he, he, you know, after years and years and years in the institution, years and years mm. and years teaching in universities and faculties and mm. being one of the greatest theologians probably in the Christian church of any tradition in the 20th century, major influence on the Second Vatican Council, mm. I think he came to the conclusion that in the end, unless you were taking your personal, interior, contemplative life seriously, it wasn't worth anything. 
Yes. You know, in the end, that yes. was the bottom line. Yes. And I just hope that uh, Christians, as well as others, will really hear that lesson uh, and take it seriously. Mm. I totally agree. I mean, there's one question that I've been grappling with with most of my uh, kind of work life is that, is that in many kind of um, evangelical and Anglo-Catholic churches, there's a complete disconnection between um, the sacramental and the liturgical and the contemplative. And particularly mm. in the Anglo-Catholic tradition, I've never really understood why there's been a, such a huge focus on liturgy and sacrament, but such an underplaying of the contemplative and silent forms of prayer. Uh, and I've never really understood why there is that disconnect within modern parts of the Anglo-Catholic tradition. No, uh, nor me, um, in, in a way. I, I mean, if you, if you look at the best of the, the Catholic, I use the word Catholic in the broad sense, if you, use, if you look at the best of the Catholic tradition, um, the Western Catholic tradition, um, it combines um, intellectual rigor yes. with... Uh, aesthetic you know aesthetically mm. beautiful liturgy but also with a very strong contemplative tradition yes. partly based on scripture uh, but partly based on silence yes. um uh, uh, and um i mean if you look at you know various monastic groups mm. i mean that's what they've stood for yes. i mean they, you know that they've, mm. they've stood for a mixture of what you might call high liturgy mm. um, um uh, and beautiful music with a strong, uh, a strong intellectual life, uh, a strong physical working life, and also this very intense contemplative silent life. Mm. So at best, it holds it all together. But yes. I know I agree. I mean, I think, unfortunately, some people think that just being, you know, what you might call uh, ritualistically correct mm. is enough. But yes. I think that's a, a, a sort of liturgical ritual equivalent of trying to be orthodox intellectually yes you know if you isolate um you know belief doctrinal orthodoxy and say that's the only thing that matters and the rest is very secondary that's bad but if you isolate you know correct liturgical performance from everything else that's equally bad it yes. seems to me so how do we encourage the various traditions of the church to recover this sense of spirituality because it seems to me that for it to be taken serious for the church and for Christianity to be taken seriously, this stuff about life and the experience of the divine and of God in daily life needs to be part of the experience, um, which increasingly is is less about Christendom and more about post Christendom. Um, what does what do we how do we encourage the church to recover the spiritual roots and be more spiritual in how it does church? Hmm. Um. I'd probably one of my answers would be, I think it might not be a bad idea to go back to the scriptures um, yeah. and to go back to, I mean, thinking specifically of the, of the Gospels, and I'm thinking specifically of the three synoptic Gospels, um, um, and ask themselves, as they read those texts, what do they really understand about discipleship? What mm -hmm. does it really say the key to discipleship is? I mean, mm -hmm. part of it is conversion, metanoia and particularly conversion from what you might call a self-centered life, and that can be true of institutions as much as of individuals, mm. um, uh, towards the selfless life, um, a sort of transformed life. But it's also about following, 
following after the pattern of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean literally imitating, oh, Jesus did this, therefore I must do that, or his disciples didn't do that, therefore I mustn't do that. Mm-hmm. But it's something about discovering the spirit of what that, that way of life was about. And taking the risk, this is the, p- the key bit, mm-hmm. taking the risk of um, pursuing uh, a life of trying to follow the pattern of Jesus in relationship to one's own world, in one's own contexts, um, and really saying that this, well, you know, that what this means will only unfold as I just try and be differently in the world, mm. rather than um, try and preserve a set of institutional <laughs> structures, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and unless we do that, it's going to die. Mm. This podcast was brought to you by the Moot Community, a new monastic, emerging and fresh expression of Christian spirituality at the Guild Church of St Mary Aldermary in the City of London in England. Now that we are approaching Advent, we want to give our listeners the heads up about a change to our usual programme for Advent 2011. From the 27th of November 2011 we will be exhibiting a number of pieces of art in the Guild Church of St Mary Aldermary with weekly podcast reflections and activities. This booklet will be available in the church if you are able to visit, and extracts will be available and accessible through the events section of our website. If you require any further information about Advent with Moot 2011, see our website www.moot.uk.net or email us on info at moot.uk.net. (laughs) 